Normally I'd say welcome to Monday evening chapel, but we don't have chapel on Mondays. So let me say welcome to the family gathering. How are you? Okay. I think that's about two out of three. So how are you? Okay. And I need for you to check with the person on either side of you, make sure that they're okay too, would you? Okay. It is, it is our privilege to share this space together, we are going to celebrate the person and the presence of Christ this evening. All in favor say aye. Aye. All right, I won't ask for an opposed sign because I don't think I'll get one. So would you stand? I want us to sing this old gospel song, Bless That Wonderful Name. One, two, three, four. A little quicker. No other name I know. Are you ready to sing? Are you ready to sing? Oh, bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. And crown him, 
President of Nazarene Bible College, and it's a privilege for me to welcome the Colorado Spring Churches of the Nazarene to Family Gathering and Opening Convention. And we're thankful that we have this opportunity to collaborate with our churches in the Colorado Springs Cluster. And uh, last night we had just a wonderful service. I mean to tell you, the, the, the inspiring music and worship and the strong preaching from God's Word, just a clear message on the cross last night. And I was thankful to hear that. And I look forward to hearing from our speaker, uh, Dr. Ed Heck, again tonight. Uh, Dr. Heck and I go back a long ways. We go back when we were Ed and Bubba. <laughs> I bet you can't guess which one's Bubba. And, uh, and uh, Ed is, Ed's been like a brother to David, my brother David and myself through the years. You know, there are friends that you meet along life's journey. Uh, you, you pass their way, you rub shoulders with them for a while. Uh, they, they add such a flavor to your life, and, and, then, and, and then life goes on. And, and you recall them, and, and you, you remember their names and, and this type of thing. Uh, but then there are those friends that, that, that life brings you to that point where you intersect with them, you rub shoulders, your hearts join together, and they become a friend that sticks, that sticks through the years. And Ed Heck has been that type of friend, Ed and Kathy, uh, to, to our family. And uh, it's just a joy to have him. Ed has been a very successful pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. And right now he pastors... Kankakee First Church of the Nazarene, and uh, God has blessed his ministry there abundantly. I was in, the, in their church this summer for district assembly for the Chicago Central District, and Ed's church is running over a 1,000 in morning worship, 
And God is blessing him, and, and he's been a faithful servant and leader in his local church as well as the district and the denomination. It's just a joy for us to have a model preacher of the Word of God for this gathering in our opening convention. Now, uh, I would also tell you that our students will be here in just a minute. Uh, when, we, when we talked uh, with the cluster uh, and, and, uh, and working together, normally in our opening convention, we start at 7.30 and end at 8.15. Uh, some of you know how our class structure works on the evenings. Uh, our students come and, and, uh, and they have a break, and they don't usually have that break on Monday night because we don't have chapel on Monday night. We have chapel on Tuesday and Wednesday. And so they're going to be gathering in here in just a few minutes and uh, will be part of our worship experience until they go on back to class after the service tonight. Uh, let me just tell you a few things. And, I, and I, I must tell you, I'm eating up a little time here, Chaplain, uh, because uh, we want them to get in on at least a few of the songs before we get to the preaching. And uh, they'll be gathering in here. You know, this is a... Uh, if you, this is a, this is a, we're off to a great start here at NBC this fall. Uh, for the first time in 15 years, we have shown an increase in campus enrollment. That, that, is, that is significant for us. Now, you know, is it growth? Well, you know, anytime you have more than you did the last year, you could say it's growth. But this, is, this we know. After 15 years of seeing losses on campus, we, we have stopped the bleeding, and we're turning the corner, and we're so thankful for that. I would also tell you that this year we have over 600 students taking uh, college courses for a degree this year. Uh, many of those are online. And uh, all told, uh, we have nearly 950 students taking classes from us this fall, coast to coast, border to border, internationally, and here in Colorado Springs. And we're thankful for the impact that, that the Nazarene Bible College is having on the Church of the Nazarene and uh, for, for the students that are studying and preparing for ministry here. Thank you, Colorado Springs, for your support of this place. Thank you for embracing our students. Thank you for loving them, caring for them, and showing such concern toward them. Many have come many miles to Colorado Springs, and, and this is a whole new experience for them. And because of your love and generosity in the local church, you make a place for them and, the, and make them feel at home. And so we're thank, thankful for that. So I say thank you on behalf of our students. Well, let's continue. Well, we'll continue here, and, uh, and we'll go right on through the service. I, I appreciate so much Dr. Alan Like, our, wor our worship leader here this week. He's the chaplain, and uh, he leads us in worship every Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And God has been moving. I, you know, 
if, if on a Tuesday or Wednesday night you'd, like to, you'd just like to have about 30 minutes of good worship and good Bible teaching and preaching, I, I just invite you to come and be a part of the chapel. It's not, it's not just for our students. It's for everyone. And, uh, and, and I would also invite you to go to our website and see our chapel highlights and hear some of the great preaching. And we have a great chapel schedule this year, chaplain. It's just dynamic preaching, and it's just going to be great. And I would invite you to come on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights to be a part of that. While this building is under repair, uh, we're just having uh, tonight and tomorrow night and Wednesday night in the chapel, and then we're going to close it down for repair, and then we'll be meeting over in Williamson. But you're welcome to come and be a part of it. Students, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, we trust that this will be a good evening for you as we continue to worship. God bless you. Sing with me in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. This proud and strong, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when timing seems, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I
Jesus, we are honored by your presence here tonight, and we will not take your faithfulness for granted. We have gathered to worship the Father, we have gathered to exalt the Son, we have gathered to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as our servant tonight, our speaker speaks to us, that we'll be obedient to the word. Help us, Heavenly Father, that we may be able to sense your moving and your stirring not only in the crowd, but in our own individual lives. And help us to leave this place knowing that we have been with God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is an overwhelming sense in which being confronted with Christ is perhaps the most compelling thought, the most captivating thought that is at our disposal. The whole idea, and I began last night talking about the compelling cross of Christ, because in my way of thinking, at least in my heart, that's at the centerpiece of everything. I've took some time to carefully try to scan through some of the pages of history, and if there is one incredible thing that comes back to me over and over again, it is this tendency that we have for millions and millions of people spanning generations to seemingly want to follow. We carefully look for those that we can follow. And if you, too, were to spend a few moments reviewing the brief inventory of the people that have been chosen by others to follow in hopes of finding liberation or finding meaning or finding fulfillment or a better life, whatever it might be, you would find that those leaders would include a list of people like Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Ayatollah Khomeini, Momabar Gaddafi, Fidel Castro, and of course, most recently, Saddam Hussein. History documents that we are not the first to set out in a pursuit of finding and following a compelling leader. There are many others who throughout time have stumbled upon the realization that their self-led life and their instincts to satisfy themselves just was not enough, and so they relentlessly have begun the search looking for something, looking for someone that they might be able to follow. And I will just tell you tonight from where I sit, I see people all around, maybe even some who are here tonight, who are frantically looking for someone that can bring a sense of safety and order, maybe meaning and purpose to their otherwise fractured lives. 
there are people like us in this room tonight who are looking for a cause, something that is much bigger than themselves, something that they can believe in, something that will make life worth living. It's a clear commentary, I think, on that intrinsic need that we all have to find meaning and direction and purpose outside of ourselves. And in our culture today, there is a growing segment of the population for whom everything in the world is broken. I pastor many of those people. You know many of those people. Every institution, every organization has either disappointed them or betrayed them. And the result is a sense of impossibility for them to trust anything or to trust anyone. And I share that with you tonight because I believe that it's a critical thing for us to understand in our quest to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the fear of following has much less to do with a state of rebellion, but it has much more to do with trust or the lack of trust. I'd like for you to think with me just for a moment. How can someone who's haunted by a memory of being bruised or battered by a parent going to be able to unconditionally trust anyone? How can someone who is emerging from a home that has been ravaged by distrust or blatant independence, going to know how to cultivate a trusting, dependent relationship with anyone? How can we possibly expect a person to develop a genuine concern for direction in their lives when they don't really believe that there's a future worth living for. And there are many people today asking, searching for answers to those kinds of questions. And the place where we live our lives today is a world where all of this has been shrunken into a desire to conform with the significance of what is only immediate. It's a pacifier. It's not going to last. It's not going to satisfy. And it's endemic in our culture today. One evening on my way home from a busy day of trying to respond to the needs of the people that I pastor, I was deeply impressed by the shallow response of a highly visible sign that was posted in front of one of our community's establishments. The sign simply read, quote, whatever. And as I drove along a little while, I couldn't escape the feeling that that word, whatever, has really come to embody the feelings of an enormous number of people in our culture today. And as I drove along, I I found myself pulling off into the parking lot of a nearby business where I wrote myself this little reminder, life is more than whatever when it is fully devoted to the dynamic direction that Jesus gives to living. Now to be honest with you, I, I find my heart literally breaking from time to time as I look out on the congregation of the people that I pastor, 
When I consider that there are many that I know sitting in those pews who have been betrayed by relationships in which they placed all of their trust. I know that on any given Sunday there are people there who have been hurt by people that they've been willing to follow only to be tragically disappointed. And the entire arena of life is impacted. The world of politics, the world of education, even the life that we share in the church has been shaded by those kinds of experiences. You see, down deep inside, I think that most people that I encounter really like the idea of the sound of trusting Jesus to be the leader in their lives. The problem is, many people find themselves stuck in a place where they can't see Him very clearly. Someone has stepped between us and Him. Someone has blocked Him from our view. And that someone could be a parent who has neglected us or abused us and still at the time is regarded by everyone else as a respectable Christian, that someone may even have been a trusted spiritual leader who took advantage of us. That someone may have been our Christian colleague, our brother who mistreated us. That someone may have been a friend who claims to be a follower of Christ, but refuses to forgive someone who has hurt them. It's like a bad seat at a baseball game where your view is obstructed. You pay the full price for that seat. You can hear all the sounds. You can feel the excitement. You can watch all of the other people around you as they find themselves absorbed in the game. But there's a helpless sense of detachment for you because you can't quite see clearly. I want you to know tonight, friends, that it's hard to trust Jesus when you live in the shadows. Jesus is the one. He is the only one who will not disappoint us. He is the only one to whom we must be fully devoted as a follower At the end of life, when we live it on our own, he remains as the one viable option for a meaningful, purposeful life. I love the words of John Mandeville's song. Frequently they run through my mind. Things change, plans fail. Jesus will still be there. I believe that is true. It's remarkable to me when I pick up this book and read in the Word to see how in just three short years of 24-7, people of power and people of vision and great influence were willing to turn their lives over to Jesus. I mean, think about it. He was so compelling that even after he left... There were people who continued to follow him for the remainder of their lives. Some historians tell us we're willing to die in order to be that fully devoted follower of Christ. They'd known him. They'd seen him. They'd heard him. They verified his authenticity, that unflinching confidence 
that resulted in them turning their lives over to his control and following him. And think about it. We're talking about businessmen. We're talking about bureaucrats. We're talking about social revolutionaries. We're talking about academics. We're talking about people of finance. These were not weak people. They were powerful people. And still they were willing to sell out in order to follow him. There's a wonderful passage in Matthew, and I'll not take time to read the entire passage because some of you have to go back to class tonight. Wow. But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee when he sees two brothers, Simon and Peter, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And what they're doing is a common kind of a thing. They were casting their nets into the lake. They weren't on vacation. Some of you probably like to fish when you're on vacation. They weren't on vacation. They were fishing, and that's what they did for a living. They were professionals, and so they were at work. And the part that I want you to see tonight that is so compelling to me is that Jesus calls to them, and here's what he said, Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. How many times have we heard that? And what I want you to really see tonight is their response. The scripture says, at once. At once. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Can you imagine In the face of such obvious uncertainty, giving up their career, giving up their home, giving up their family in order to follow someone that they barely even knew, it's unthinkable. And what I find even more unthinkable is that Jesus didn't spread a map down on the ground to show them where it was he was going to lead them. He he didn't allow them to cut a deal The word says they just followed. What could possibly explain that kind of radical response? Well, of course, part of what goes into understanding that is that for a century, these men and others like them had become very familiar with oral tradition as well as the literature in archives that talked for a long time about an awaited, long-hoped-for, the promised one who was going to come and at that time restored this very proud nation to all of its former glory. And so there was a growing sense of meaningless and despair in their world as, as they waited Everything started to unravel, and yet their hope was piqued with anticipation of the one who would come and again give meaning and direction and purpose to life. And when endued with the power that came from his Father, Jesus came into the world of broken expectations, and he rises out of the ashes of this despairing people to offer them a fresh view of what life could possibly look like with new hope if... They would drop their nets and follow him. It was a compelling call. Now, our struggle to become that kind of fully devoted follower of Christ has something to do, the struggle part of it I'm talking about now with the nature of 
the widespread popularity of what I will call grandstand Christianity. You maybe don't have that problem here in Colorado, but where I live, it's, it's widespread. Simple truth of the matter is, Christianity for a lot of folks has become a spectator sport. And to respond by dropping everything to follow him involves a whole lot more than just adding him to our lives like you might add another piece of furniture that is designed to make us comfortable. I think a lot about my past. I think a lot of what might have been in my life. Where I might be today if God had not reached down to a little boy in Silvis, Illinois, touched him with his marvelous grace. That's my story. I wonder frequently where I might be if the greed and the lust and the self-centeredness and the anger that was so much a part of my life had not been checked by the persistent presence of the indwelling spirit. That's, again, that's my story I've thought to myself, what what might have come of my life and all of my relationships if, if my life had been permitted to freelance without any kind of restraint because that's certainly the road that I was traveling upon. So when I tell you tonight that I'm eternally grateful that my life has been blessed by a personal encounter with the compelling Christ that I'm talking about tonight, I know beyond any doubt that my life tonight has been radically changed as a result of making that kind of decision to follow Him. And I want to tell you that having made that decision, I lost nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why wouldn't I want to follow Him? And yet there's more than the desire to want to follow Him. See, friends, it's not enough to think about all of the benefits of our personal encounter with the compelling Christ. It's okay, and we should revel in the goodness of God. But what I'm saying is, let's be careful not to get entangled by all of those blessings. Because, listen, it is not about us. It wasn't about Peter. It wasn't about Andrew. Or anyone else who made that conscious decision to follow. It's not about us. It's about the compelling cause of the compelling Christ. Because following from start to finish is a matter of unqualified obedience. See, if the whole motivation for following him were about all the benefits and the blessings of those who choose to follow him, it's my opinion that the followers of the first century likely would have bailed out a long time ago. They didn't bail out, and do you know why they didn't bail out? They didn't bail out because the cause was so compelling that they followed regardless of what the cost was going to be. Now, we know Judas stands as a mirror reflection of those who follow for what they can get out of it. You know the story. 
As soon as his financial aspirations weren't realized and the prospect of suffering became evident while Judas checked out. Not so with the others. The rest would have died for Jesus. Part of the story that is told here in the Word is that some of them did die for Jesus and the cause of the compelling Christ. Every hope, every dream, every aspiration in life was willingly placed in His hand without reservation, without negotiation. They were fully devoted followers in the same way that you and I are called to be fully devoted followers. Now, Sometimes they were imperfect followers, but they remained undaunted in their commitment to follow him. Well, here's the good news. Jesus is still calling followers today. He is still the same compelling Christ with the same compelling cause. And when we really see him clearly and all of the other things get out of our way, there's only one acceptable response. And it's the response I want you to be thinking about as we finish up these next few evenings together. Here's the response. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Would you stand, please? Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your presence here. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a bit tonight because in many respects, those who have filled this building tonight have left their homes, their families, their jobs in pursuit of a call in pursuit of a cause, following the compelling Christ. Tonight, as we leave this place, and as we think about what might be resting in our hands, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us and challenge us so that we too can be that fully devoted committed follower of Christ that you need us to be. And for this, we will give you praise tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow night.